0: This week is the celebration uh, of Epiphany, and we, I don't know if you know this or not, if you haven't been around, uh, then you, you haven't heard me say this before, but uh, I try to follow a semi-liturgical calendar, that means kind of according to what the Catholic Church does. It's very liberal, no Catholic person would say that I followed a liturgical calendar at all, but I try to take the, the topics and the themes and, and I try to uh, connect them. And, and so epiphany is the study of like basically Jesus coming to earth. That's uh, and the epiphany of it all. And uh, specifically the wise men normally. Uh, but we talked about the wise men for four weeks last year. And I don't want to beat a dead horse or a dead king. And so uh, we, as we continue through this sermon series that we started last week, Meet Jesus. I just want you to have that out there. That, that the goal and the point of this series is really to be like, Jesus is here, let's learn something about him. And and really, I, I've been wrestling, and I said last week I may not have, like, a point, uh, and I've been really wrestling, like, what is the point? I think this is the sermon series that God has given me, I think that these are important stories, but I've really been wrestling with, like, a point, like, what is the point, what do I want people to take away, and I usually, if you haven't been around, you don't know this either, but if you've been around, you know this, I, I kind of want, like, one point for a whole sermon series whether the sermon series is 10 weeks long or or three weeks long or one week long I just want one thing and so uh, I've been searching for this point and here's what I maybe kind of think it might be we need to stop ignoring Jesus I think that People, even Christians, even those people who, who say they love Jesus and they follow Jesus, I mean, like on a day-to-day basis, on a week-to-week basis, on a year-to-year basis, it seems like the majority of our lives are kind of void of Jesus and he's kind of ignored. And probably at least somebody in this room came up with the plan this year that your New Year's resolution was going to be to read the Bible more. And you did that because you want to stop ignoring God and Jesus and the things of God. And it's just funny to me. It's interesting to me. I find it curious that we struggle with that. That we like have to fight against ignoring Jesus. That it's not just normal to pay attention to Jesus. And I guess my hope in this series is that that as we look at these stories about Jesus' life before he was famous, before he got known for what he said and what he did, before all of that started his public ministry, as we look at these stories, maybe you'll know Jesus in a more intimate way, in a way that, that causes you to stop ignoring him. I think that the point of the series is simply that we have ignored Jesus too long, and it's time that we meet him, and I believe, I really do, that when we meet Jesus and we get to know him better, even if it's just through stories a couple of thousand years later, then we start to like Jesus better. We start to, uh, to grasp and care more about the, the things that he said and that he did that he became famous for. I gave a couple of examples last week, like Santa Claus and Squanto and um, Steve Jobs, and how when you get kind of their backstory, y- you, start to, you start to care more, and uh, today I just want to use myself as an illustration. I received this week one of the great presents I've ever received in my life, uh, and my, a friend of mine sent me on DVD, 20 of my 25 basketball games from my senior year in high school. Uh, I knew it was coming and then it showed up and it was like... I just was like, well, I got eight hours to kill, you know, I mean, like, I, I wanted to watch all of them, I stood, Bryn was watching the Gilmore Girls, so was I, um, and uh, I don't like to admit that, but, uh, and as soon as I got the mail, and it came, and the UPS guy showed up, I literally stood in front of the TV waiting for the episode to end, so that I could watch my high school basketball game film, um, like literally just stood there waiting till Bryn would let me, and um, anyway, and, and and so I watched that season, and it's, It was the best team, I've talked about them before uh, in sermons, that team, because it was the best team I've ever been a part of. Uh, It was uh, not talent-wise, but just as far as being a team, and it's actually a a lot of what I hope is in the leadership and the servers at our church and the things we do together when we come and we set up on Sunday mornings and when we put events together and all the stuff that we do, I, I hope in some ways that it will look like my senior year high school basketball team, a bunch of guys that uh, didn't like each other before that season started, um, guys that hung out in different groups that, that didn't have much in common at all, lived very different lives, and all of a sudden it was like we put everything aside to to try to achieve one common goal. It was super cool to be a part of. But as I watch those games, I find that everybody that walks in while I'm watching them doesn't care as much about them as I do. Uh, like, hey, watch this charge I took, you know? And you know the crazy part? I, I remember the free throws I missed still. Isn't that? It's been like 13 years, and I will say to Brent, I'm going to miss this free throw right here. And it still bothers me, and I get mad at refs, and it's a whole thing. But that's a different story. That has nothing to do with my sermon. You guys can all come over and watch it. We could do it for movie night, actually. <laughs> that would be kind of fun. This one charge that I took by the all-time leader in Oregon State, sack leader, uh, Bill Swancutt is his name. Bill hits me so hard. This is just a side note again, but I try to take a charge at midcourt. Bill is big. Bill got bigger in college, but Bill is big. I mean, he's like two of me when he was a senior in high school, and and I just stop in front of him, and he doesn't see me coming. I don't know, time out, rewind. I don't see him coming maybe. He hits me so hard and the camera is in the upper deck and it's the loudest, like there's a lot of people there and you can hear me hit the ground so hard. I watched it like a hundred times this week. You hear flesh and you hear pounding and like I look like I'm dead for a second and it's a whole thing. All I remember thinking is don't go the wrong direction. But here's the thing, I called my family and told them that I had received these games and all of a sudden, People cared. Um, my grandma was excited, and I'm going to take one to her house later today. My dad's like, I want a copy of those. I'll pay you for those. And here's what I think the huge difference is I think that uh, Bryn loves me, right? You, you, I think, anyway, I suppose. She says she does. Bryn loves me, but she doesn't care. She's like, ah, you know, I'm like, watch it again. Watch this movie. She's like, oh, I saw it the first three times, you know? <laughs> doesn't care. But here's the big difference. My family was there, even more important, they were there for the seventeen years before that season. They were through they went through and experienced and watched everything that went into me having a successful senior year in basketball, us, this team even because a lot of us were together from about fifth grade on on that team. Uh, they saw everything that went into it. I mean, they could look back and know that that my first word was ball, true story. They know that the thing that I like to do more than anything before I could do anything was to throw a ball in and out of a playpen. I actually have heard I would do it for hours. I'm not sure if that's true. When I was three years old, and this is, this is better than most of you now, when I was three years old, I could sit and watch a whole baseball game. Most of you can't do that now, right? You're like, really, baseball? I could sit through, at least live, I don't know if I could have done that on TV, baseball TV is not so good, but uh, I could sit through a whole baseball game at three years old. They know that, that I was outside every single day of my life playing a sport, I was begging neighbor kids every day. If it was football season, football. If it was basketball season, basketball. If it was baseball season, baseball. Uh, We didn't have soccer season back when America was America, you know. And... um, And so it was just one of those seasons, and, and, and I would be outside, rain, shine, it didn't matter, I would play in the snow, i pretend that I played for Duke University, they remember when I had a disagreement in middle school with my coach, because I wasn't starting all of a sudden, and I thought it was wrong, and it was wrong, because I was all tournament team the very moment he started me, and now I had a teary-eyed conversation with him, uh, they remember that my senior year, there was, before my senior year, when I didn't get as much playing time as I wanted my junior year, I thought, I'm done, I'm not going to Duke, so what's the point of this? anymore I just want to quit Uh, I actually remember quite well my best friend's dad at the time driving back we had been in Utah and he's looking at me going don't do this you cannot quit and I'm going I'm not it's not happening the way I want it to And he's like, it will. And I didn't have any confidence, but I was telling everybody I had confidence. I will start next year. I will start. And they know that in the middle of my senior year, I wanted to quit again because I was so sick and tired of Coach Gar screaming at me no matter what went wrong. And I had a two-hour conversation on his hotel bed with him and his wife saying, look, I can't handle it anymore. It doesn't matter if they throw the ball away. You yell at me, and I can't take it anymore. See, they were all, they were there. And they experienced it with me and they saw my tears and they saw the sweat and they know how much we went through to get to that point. My dad had the police called on him one time because he, we accidentally broke into the wrong school or something for a practice. And, and all of that they remember. And so when you watch me take a charge as a senior, hit a three-pointer, or hit a, a quarter-ending shot, it's like there's a lot of stuff that, that went into that single moment right there. And I think when it comes to Jesus like, yeah, I know he died for me, if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you don't care. You just ignore him altogether. But if you're a Christian, you're like, I know he died for me. But you don't ever, like, stop to ponder everything that went into that, where he had been and what his parents had experienced and all the things that, that he had lived through to get him to the point where he was nailed to a cross as the sinless sacrifice so that you could be saved for your sins. And I think if you just skip to the end, if you just get the tape of the end and say, well, yeah, he died then you're kind of missing who Jesus really is, and you're never really gonna experience it like somebody who kind of knows the backstory. And, and so I think as we look at this, this story today and the story next week, I hope that you'll just go, I'm not gonna ignore this guy anymore. And I hope you get kind of caught up and just look at this kid, this young man, this baby as we talked about last week. I mean, look at what happened in his life that led to him being Jesus Christ superstar. I like saying it like that. Jesus Christ, I mean, the Jesus that's the most famous person ever to live, a lot went into that. And here's what we read today in Luke 2, 41 and 42. It's where we'll start. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. So here's the deal. Passover was a Jewish holiday. It still is a Jewish holiday, one I celebrate yearly. Uh, And and Passover is a day when the Jewish people look back and, and memorialize the fact that God led them out of slavery at the hand of the Egyptians and then ultimately turned them into the nation Israel. And so the Jewish people celebrate this holiday every year And they remember that God did a series of miracles to get them out of Egypt. The last one, the culminating miracle, was that God took the life of every person that wasn't every firstborn child in a household that wasn't Jewish, and so hence Passover because God passed over the house of the Israelites. They might go, "Well, that doesn't sound very good for." Egypt, but this is the nation of Israel that celebrates Passover, and they look back on this time very fondly. It's a defining moment in their nation's history still today, and one of the things that had to happen is that all the adult males had to travel to Jerusalem, no matter where they were at, in order to celebrate this Jewish holiday every single year, about the time that we celebrate Easter, and the Bible tells us here, and it's subtle, it's a side note, that the whole family, including Mary, travels up to Jerusalem in order to celebrate this holiday. This is kind of a big deal, because it shows something really important to us, that Luke has been, if you were here last week, you already saw us. Luke really wants to make clear that his sources... The people that he's getting his information in order to write this book in the Bible are very, very credible people. Not people who would disrespect God by making up a Messiah. Not people who don't care about what God says. Not people who are going to lie to you, but good, credible witnesses. And Luke wants to emphasize this just one more time. That he is a great historian who isn't writing based on some drug user's remembrance of what happened but on the basis of the very mother and father who were pious god-fearing god-loving people and so he says look the whole family chose to go up and celebrate Passover now this is I mean just think about this it's about in driving miles today I looked this up on google maps it's about 91 about this is not an about number it's funny I just said about it's 91.3416 miles if you're driving it about. I left off the other five numbers, you know, like they mattered so much. It's 91-ish miles if you're driving it today, but uh, as the crow flies, I think I, that's the right way to use that statement, straight across, straight up, if you will. It was a little bit shorter than that. It would have been a three-day journey. Now, here's the crazy part. Mary and Joseph had Jesus, who was 12 years old in this story. They had other children, the Bible shows us. And you think about taking that group of people on a three-day journey, just a family. I mean, you ever like watched a family, multiple children, try to go to a movie? You ever sat next to them at Red Robin? Like, oh man, wrong seat. I'm trying to watch the game. Like when there's a big family and they're coming, and, and it's it's hard and it's difficult, right? And they choose every year to take the whole family, even though Joseph was the only one who needed to go. Mary and Joseph were God-fearing, God-loving people that would not have made up this story. Here's what happens. And this could be coming right from Mary's mouth, right to Luke as he writes it down. This is what we read. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. I think that's a really funny way to say that. We'll come back to it. But they were unaware of it. Thinking that he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. Now this is, it's funny because it's like Jesus just chooses, he's 12 years old, like I'm just staying in Jerusalem, you know, big city. I mean, don't think even like Wilsonville, especially during Passover, I mean, there's like a lot of people in this city and Jesus just kind of makes the decision as a 12 year old, I'm I'm staying here. This is not a home alone type thing, except for the, on the parent side, it's a home alone type thing. But, but on Jesus' side, it's not like I woke up and I had stayed in the attic and they were all gone and I screamed and I didn't know what to do, you know? Uh, it, this is like, Man, I'm hanging out here. Now the parents get a ways out You might question their parenting skills at this point. Um, How do you go a whole day without realizing your 12-year-old son is missing? But the, the Jewish people to the Passover, they would have traveled with a large contingent of people. The people from their town, and the, uh, the Jesus family is traveling from Nazareth, and so it's the 91-ish miles, and, and so they would have traveled with their friends and their family, it would have been a very large group, there's safety in numbers, there's food in numbers, it's probably more fun to travel for three days in numbers, since everybody's going the same direction, and, and so they caravan together, And so it seems that Mary and Joseph assume that Jesus is with somebody else. And what would happen is that they would come back together at night. That's probably when you would check on your children, hang out all day, kids playing together, doing what kids do, adults doing what adults do. And then they would all come back together in their immediate families at night. And they realize Jesus is missing when they're about a day out, which is, by the way, 25 miles a long ways to walk with kids and babies and food and supplies all around you. So they're about 25 miles out and they realize Jesus is gone and they begin looking and they realize at some point that Jesus is not with the caravan. This is a familiar story to a lot of people, but I just want to pause and say like that's super scary. After our Easter egg hunt this last year, um, we were the last people here, and my niece went missing all of a sudden. It's only funny now. Uh, But she was like, she was in the gym. Sandy, my stepmom, was looking at her. Sandy, like, turned around literally like this, and then Leah was gone. And we began to search everywhere. I mean, we're searching everywhere everywhere I'm starting to take uh, this is not a joke I'm starting to like take license plates numbers in the parking lot because we can't find Leah anywhere and there was this tear and this panic that parents know if you've ever felt like you've lost your kid but it was like they were here and now they're gone and you start to think the worst I'm taking down license plates numbers and Lee was actually sitting on the stairwell right here, um, just right there. Uh, and uh, I don't know how we missed her. Apparently, we're similar to Mary and Joseph or something in that situation. But um, but, but she was fine. But there's like this intense panic. I actually, those doors lock. Um, when they get shut and I went out there to look for and I got stuck out there and there's nothing more maddening And this is probably how they felt being 25 miles away from jerusalem and thinking we have to go back Like now i'm not even helping look for him, you know I don't know what's happening and I can't do anything out about it because i'm stuck out here with the cardboard It's a super scary moment And I think that we kind of have to think like mary and joseph here Just think about what they were feeling and experiencing If we're going to be more connected to Jesus, because these are parents, parents that think they have lost the Messiah, that's probably extra whammer, right? Like, this is the promised one of Israel. We lost him. Like, what's God going to do to us? Um, Really bad day. I mean, really, really bad day. I could imagine being like Secret Service, because I'm watching the West Wing, so everything is involved with the White House in my brain right now. But like, if you lost the President's kid, that would be bad, right? But to lose God's kid bad. And so they're panicking, I'm sure. And just think about this, you have to travel a full day back. That'd be the worst 25 miles of all time. I mean, you just had to be thinking the, the worst things the whole time as they walk back to Jerusalem. And when they get back, this is the horrible part, they travel a day back, they're probably moving a little bit faster, they get back and they start searching Jerusalem, which would have, again, been crazy. I mean, the only thing that I can describe it like, I think, in our kind of modern thinking, but in something I've never experienced and most of you have never experienced, but it would be like when the Olympics come upon a town. And everybody in that country just swarms into that city. Or when the Super Bowl comes into a town and everybody in the country just swarms in that city. You got media people and you got got everybody there. And that's what Passover would have been like in Jerusalem. And and so for them to be looking around this city has to be just terrifying. When we lost our kid in the midst of the Olympics, we're never going to find him again. Tells us it goes a whole other day because this is what we read next. After three days, one there, one back, and another whole day of searching, after three whole days of not being able to find their 12 year old son, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. This is the really famous part of this, of this story. It's the one that gets into the arts and, and things like that. This is Jesus decides to stay in Jerusalem. I mean, that's so funny for a 12-year-old. My 12-year-old decided to stay anywhere. That's not going so well. And then he decides to go. This is not very 12-year-oldish, right? Like, you know, a normal 12-year-old thing, and he saw a girl. Right, And that's not Jesus, but in, like, he saw a girl, he decided to stay there, or, or he was playing with his friends. Jesus, when they find him, is sitting in the midst of the teachers and the experts of the law, which is religious now. This isn't like lawyers. This is the religious leaders of his time. And he's having a conversation with them, listening to them and asking them questions. Isn't that just, it's just crazy. It's really crazy. And if you're not seeing the craziness of it, it's not my fault, it's yours. Like, think about this. Like, this is a crazy, I mean, Jesus is hanging out. And he's not playing with micro cars, whatever those things were called, like in Home Alone. You know what I'm talking about? He's not playing with his toys. He's not, like, just going out and having a good time. He is sitting with the teachers of the law, hanging out, asking them questions about the Jewish faith, giving them answers about the Jewish faith. And this is the part. This is what I want you to see. And then we're going to lock in on this kind of, f- these phrases, and And this is what, my, you'll see my hope here in just a few minutes. It says, the teachers of the law were amazed. Now You might you might go like, okay, 12-year-old, the teacher of the law found him, they're hanging out with him, they're making hot cocoa, you know, they're playing video games. But no, 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 no. These guys who have studied the law, the Old Testament their whole lives, are Amazed when they listen to this 12-year-old talk, ask questions, ponder the law with them. Listen to the word, the, the other ways Luke uses this word. Her parents were, this is the word, astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. That's Luke 8:56. That's just after Jesus raised somebody from the dead. Same word, Luke doesn't use the word amazed very often, this word for amazed, but one of the times is when Jesus has raised somebody from the dead, which I can, I can go out on a limb and say that that's pretty amazing, right? We would all be pretty amazed. And there's the same word used when the teachers of the law hear this little 12-year-old boy talk about their religion. It's also used in Luke 24, 22. In addition, some of our women amazed us what's that connected to? That's when the women said, hey, oh, by the way, Jesus is no longer in the tomb. It looks like he's come back to life. An angel talked to us. We'd all be pretty amazed by that. And the only other time in the Gospel of Luke that he uses this word amazed is when Jesus is amazing the teachers of the law and the religious leaders of the time. This is not, I mean, this is a story that I know you tell it to kids for some, we tell this story to kids, but this is, kids can't get this because kids think they're smarts, you know, like, we look at kids and we're like, well, you, you haven't learned that much yet, you're smart for your age, but these people are amazed because Jesus is so knowledgeable and has such an understanding of their religion, it's not like Jesus was just amazed yeah. I got it. I mean, every 12-year-old thinks they're awesome. I mean, especially when they're coming up on 13, they become the greatest thing ever or the worst thing ever. It depends on the moment, you know. But, like, this is the teachers, the religious leaders, the smartest people about their faith, looking at this 12-year-old kid going, this is incredible, this is amazing. Now here's just one part that I just want to kind of throw in. It's not about my high school basketball days. Just one quick part that you need to understand. It was long, long prophesied that the Messiah would have a special understanding, a special knowledge, a special wisdom. Listen to uh, Isaiah 11, 1 through 3. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom Wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Isaiah, thousands of years before Jesus, said when the promised one comes, he will have a supernatural level of knowledge, wisdom, fear of God. And here's Jesus, sitting in the temple, talking to the religious leaders, and they are amazed at his understanding. Luke continues, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Now this word astonished is also pretty good because it means to be exceedingly struck in mind. Different word than amazed, but it kind of gives the same effect. I mean, the parents come, and and I'm sure, even though, I mean, think about this now. The parents, if you follow the Christmas story, and you know the Christmas story, angels had spoken to them, And so that's kind of a big deal. And then we talked about this story last week where a guy named Simeon and a a woman named Anna, they they talk about Jesus and they prophesy about what he's going to do and all this amazing stuff, and that's pretty incredible. And then after that, the wise men would have come and they would have brought their, their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and that would have been a big deal. But now, it's been quiet for about 10 years. And life's gone back to normal. And have you ever experienced like a movement of God in your life? Have you ever just like had God do something that's incredible? And and here's what happens. The further away we get from those things, the less clarity there is about whether or not it was God or if it was miraculous or if it was just chance or if it just happened. I actually write down the the most... uh, Crazy things that God says to me and, and kind of does. I put them down because of that very thing that when I get years later, I'll go, Did God really say that to me? That really what He was trying to reveal to me? Because I haven't seen how it worked out. And, and I, I'm, I'm just going to go out on a limb. I don't know this, but I, I'm going to think that Mary and Joseph, 10 years removed from these incredible events that took place surrounding the birth of Jesus, now are in a place where they're going, Life's kind of regular. I changed the kid's diapers, helped him to learn how to go to the bathroom and the toilet. That's not historically accurate, but you get what I'm saying. I've taught him to read. I taught him to work in the the shop, the carpentry shop. I was just pretty regular. Then your son's lost, so you're panicking, and you show up, and you find him in the middle of the temple with the teachers of the law, and they are engaging him like he is on their level, not as a little child And it tells us that they were astonished, that they were struck in mind exceedingly by what they were looking at. In Luke 9, 42 and 43, we see this same word. Even while the boy was coming, the demon... This isn't about Jesus. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, healed the boy and gave him back to his father and they were all amazed, that's the word, astonished at the greatness of God. I mean, Yeah, if I saw a demon cast out of somebody, I'd be astonished. But here are the parents coming back to find their lost son, and they are astonished by the fact that he's having this conversation, he's interacting with these teachers of the law. And they say, why have you treated us like this? And, We've been looking for you. And then Jesus says this thing that I just, I don't know. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Have you ever had a teacher ask you a really dumb question and everybody in the room either doesn't know it or knows it. And, and everybody just kind of sits there silently. Like I have no idea how to respond to this. I kind of feel that awkward tension when I read this, like, why were you searching for me? Because you were lost and you're 12. I mean, like, I mean, i that's the question, like, everybody in the room knows, right? Like, mm, you know, like, you weren't with us. We were 25 miles down the road. It was nighttime. We thought you were killed by animals, you know, or kidnapped. Uh, I mean, there's so many answers that you just don't know. I mean, I can just picture them like, uh, you were... You were gone. I I don't know how you respond to that. And then this other part, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And that's probably one where they're not going to answer because they probably didn't know. And and so like, well, I I am your mom and dad, not biological, but your dad, Joseph. And like, uh, yeah, we didn't know that. And I just just feel, and hopefully if this story is coming out right and you're reading it right, I just think you should like feel kind of that. This is weird. It's hard to say that when he's sitting there impressing the teachers of the law, you know? I mean, if you had a bunch of Harvard graduates sitting around and you had all the smart people in our country sitting around and Jesus was wowing them with his knowledge and then he asked you a question that feels like a trick question, he's your son, you probably just back out of the conversation. That's my guess, like... I don't know, whatever you say, you know? I'm gonna go with your answer on this, so multiple choice, and this is what happened. Now, here's the really, here's the cool part. He said, didn't you know I would to be in my father's house sitting in the temple, and Jesus is not talking about Joseph. He is talking about God, and what we believe as Christians is that God is is. In three persons, he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe that Mary was a virgin when she conceived of Jesus, and he was born to the virgin Mary. And we believe that Jesus acts and is God's Son. And he came to earth and he let go of, he veiled his deity, as we sing in one of the Christmas songs. And and he didn't use his kind of supernatural powers, but he lived as a normal person, acting as his father led him to act. And so when Jesus says, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house, he isn't talking about Joseph, and he's not saying something that can be glossed over. He's making a huge, huge statement. I had to be in my father's house, the one that I have been connected to for eternity. I had to be in this place. Now here's the the other thing you need to know. Uh, This word house is similar, very similar actually, to how we would say it today. Like when a dad says, You're not going to do that in my house. They don't just mean like specifically in the house, right? I mean, at least usually they don't mean that. I mean, if you're like trying to set off a firework or something, but but they don't usually mean that. They mean like in my household. They mean like, while I am in control. And so Jesus here, it's same for the Greco-Roman world. Jesus is not just saying like, didn't you know I had to be here in the temple? He's saying, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? Didn't you know I had to be about what my father says? Didn't you know I had to be about my father's will and my father's authority and I need to be doing what my Father in heaven wanted me to do. And I think in some ways what Jesus is saying is, I know you're a little upset that you thought you lost me, but I didn't come here to serve you, even if you're my parents. I came here to serve my Father in heaven. I came here to do his will so that he could be glorified. I came here to fulfill his mission of saving humanity. Is that just, maybe it's just me. Maybe I like Jesus better than you. I don't know. But, but like when you look down the road 18 years later and he's 30 years old and he starts his public ministry and, and uh, 23 years later or no, 21 years later, bad math on the fly, 21 years later when he dies on a cross and you have this in your head that remember when he was 12 years old? I mean, you just picture Mary at the cross. Like Remember when he was 12 years old? Even then... He was saying, no matter what, no matter if it makes my parents mad, no matter if people get upset with me, no matter how much it hurts, no matter how much it costs me, even at 12 years old, he's saying, I have to be about my Father in Heaven's business. I'm not here for the regular things that other humans are focused on. I'm here to fulfill the mission of my Father. Pretty crazy. And then here's, here's how it ends, Luke 2, 50 through 52. But they did not understand what he was saying to them. I like that. Keep that in your heads. But, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Understand is a, a word, it translates a Greek word that means like to bring together, um, and, and it can be used of foes in battle, to collect together. Uh, it's like uh, the single feature of an object, to bring it all into a whole, to collect, to apprehend, to grasp, to comprehend, to understand. Really what it's talking about is that Mary and Joseph weren't able to like bring this kind of story together and see the point It would be hard for you too. You have an adolescent child and he's sitting there and you're astonished by it, but you don't really get what all it means. Mary and Joseph might have been like every other Jewish person that thought that Jesus, the Messiah, was going to start a military takeover and he was going to overthrow the Romans and everything would be good and he'd sit on his throne and he'd reign forever. That's what they thought. And Mary and Joseph were probably caught up into that. That's what everybody in their culture seemed to believe. Not everybody, but the majority of people in their culture seemed to believe. And so Mary and Joseph, just what it's saying is that they just, they couldn't put it all together and say, oh, I get it. They didn't understand the Trinity in the way that I just described it, I'm sure. And so they looked at God and they're like, your father, I don't really get this. I know that I was a virgin when I had you, but what are you talking about? Your father, Joseph's your dad, kind of. I mean, they just can't grasp it all. They don't have the rest of the New Testament to look back and go, oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. They didn't get it. But even though they didn't get it, here's the cool part. Mary treasured all these things in her heart. On the book of Luke, one of the things that Luke does, because Luke is writing to an individual, which is fairly unique for uh, the New Testament, and and so Luke is inviting this guy named Theophilus, and, and as an extension, you and I, everybody who reads this book, to put yourself in the shoes of the characters in the story. And he's inviting you here to have the same response as Mary who doesn't understand, but still treasures, keeps these things in her heart. She doesn't let them go. She doesn't dismiss them. She doesn't put them on the back burner of her life. She doesn't say, ah, no big deal. I don't really get it. That's kind of weird. That was a weird one, Jesus. I don't know. Let's forget about it. Let's move on. She keeps them in her heart. Now, when you look at a story, like this. 12 year old boy lost. Just break it down really quickly. A 12 year old boy lost, found sitting, asking intelligent, logical, theological questions, and discussing things of the Jewish faith with the religious leaders. And then says, Hey, by the way, mom and dad, you should have known I was here because I had to be about my father's business. You may not understand it may not get it you may say like that's a weird story It's kind of a cool story but i don't really get it i'm not really sure what that all means but luke is inviting you not to fully grasp it but to treasure it and to treasure the stories that follow and to hold on to them and to remember them and think about them so that when you get to the end of the story and you see and read about Jesus being nailed to a cross, you go, I know that guy. I know that guy who's paying for my sins. He was blessed by religious people as a baby. He was lost in a temple once. And he told great stories and had great friends. Were invited to treasure them. But here's what I think we do. We're different than this. I mean, this, this, this uh, story contains three, I think, kind of key words for us today. It says that, that the people were amazed, the Jewish leaders. It says that the parents were astonished. And then it says that the parents treasured these things. But what I think we do with Jesus is we go, one of two things. One, I don't understand it. I don't get it. So who really cares? And what we lose, I think a lot of times, we lose the impressiveness of some of what the Bible says. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four books in the Bible that talk about Jesus are are filled with incredible stories and, and incredible words of Jesus and incredible things that Jesus did. And sometimes I think that the average reader goes, I don't really get it. And they dismiss it altogether. I think others of us here, we go, I've heard it before. Like one time was enough, because that's what we always do with memories, right? I mean, you never share memories with your friends or your family members. I mean, when you get together at Christmas, you go, and somebody goes, do you remember that one time? You go, yeah, but we already talked about that once, you know? So let's move on to the future. That's not who we are as people. That's not normal. But when it comes to the gospel and the story of Jesus, that's kind of what we do. We go, yeah, I've heard it. I know what happens at the end here. Instead of going, this is Jesus, and look what he did. The guy walked on water. That's a big deal. I mean, he fed 5,000 people with hardly any food. That's pretty cool. And we treat the story of Jesus just like one we have heard before and doesn't matter anymore, or one that we don't understand. And so what we don't do is we're not amazed, we're not astonished, and we don't treasure these things in our heart. And I think that then we just ignore Jesus altogether. We just ignore him because we forget about this backstory. And somebody says, who is Jesus? And you go, he's this guy that died for me. But what if, like, we got to a place where somebody said, who is Jesus? And you go, let me tell you about Jesus. When he was 12 years old, he was lost. His parents lost him for three days. They couldn't find him anywhere. And guess where they found him? Guess where they found him? You're never going to believe this. Guess where they found him? They found him sitting in the temple with the religious leaders, and, and he was actually making an impression on the smartest men of his time. Oh, and let me tell you more about Jesus. There was this one time when Jesus went out into a desert, and Satan himself tempted Jesus for 40 days. And get, This is crazy. Jesus didn't eat for 40 days. And at the end of it, Jesus was so tired and had been through such a spiritual battle that he actually had to be ministered to by angels. Oh, and then this other time, Jesus walked on water. And this other time, this is a crazy one, I actually really like this one. Jesus, in the midst of a storm, was sleeping in the bottom of a boat. Who does that? And then his disciples woke him up. His friends, they're like, hey, don't you care that we're going to die? And he's like, eh, don't you have faith? And then he just... He calmed the storm. Have you ever calmed a storm? I mean, I think people look at us and and they hear us talk about Jesus in such a dry, unamazed way because we ignore Jesus, because we've heard it before, we don't really understand it. And they go, yeah, he died for you. It doesn't sound that fun. But what if we like knew Jesus and we stopped ignoring Jesus and we were amazed and astonished and we kept these stories in our hearts? would not Jesus just be a little bit cooler? Wouldn't it be harder for people to ignore? And I'm telling you this, I want to say this: if you're not a Christian and you probably ignore Jesus all the time, and I'm going to say this, you can't ignore him. The guy was either a psycho that thought he was God or a big fat liar that tried to start a religion that got a whole bunch of people killed for their faith, or he is something greater. And so you need to read these stories and just, just even if you don't like it and you've heard bad things about Jesus all your whole life or you had a bad church experience or you knew some Christian who didn't live out their faith, you just need to read it. And at least say, wow, even if you, if you go fictional, which is highly unlikely in the book of Luke because he's one of the greatest historians ever to live. But even if you just go fictional, just at least say, wow, will you do that for me? Just at least go, wow, that's quite the story. That's quite impressive. And maybe read another one. For those of us who are Christians, who actually believe it, how dare we just ignore it? I think God would be glad if he never heard again. I should read the Bible more. Really, you think it's that uninteresting that I walked on water? Because I thought it was pretty cool. <laughs> I called him to storm. Pretty, pretty good deal. I mean, like, hey... When all the people in the whole country were against me and they were yelling at me and they were mocking me and even my friends turned their back on me and the Roman leaders were saying, hey, if you give me an answer, uh, if you just tell me what I want to hear, I can let you go and you won't have to die. I kept my mouth shut. It's pretty tough. Pretty incredible. I refused to talk even when I was tortured. You have to read it more? I did it for you. And so what? I just this is what I want. As you think about Jesus in that temple, hanging out with the religious leaders, totally calm, not fearing that his parents were gone because that's what I would have been doing. I was a timid little boy. Uh, And and just, I mean, I would have been so scared and felt lonely and and I would have been freaking out and I wouldn't know what to do and I would have cried and said, Mommy, you know, and that would have been my response to the whole deal. And Jesus is sitting in a temple and he's having an intellectual conversation with the religious leaders of his time about religion And he looks at his parents and says, didn't you know I have to be here? I had to be here. This is where I had to be. I had to be about my father's business. When you hear this story, my hope, my only hope, and my hope for next week again, is that you will stop ignoring Jesus and you will start to say, wow, this is amazing, this is astonishing, and I will keep it in my heart. Will you pray with me? Lord, sorry for how often we just ignore you, how we treat these stories as, Second-rate stories when they're some of the best stories the world has ever known. Um, sorry, God, for how dry we make you sometimes. Even how we skip to the end of your life. And, and it's funny, God, and I'm like this, you know this, it's like we want people to follow you as their savior. And all we care to tell them about is how you died but they don't really know anything about you or what following you even means because they don't know you because they've never heard your stories. And Lord, I pray that we would be a people, a church, God, that loves your stories. And we're so amazed and astonished by them that we want to tell others about them Not just that you died, which is important and impressive and exciting and and we're so thankful for it, but also, God, that you lived and you showed us how to live and, and your life showed who you are and what you came to do and your teaching, God, revealed to us so many incredible truths about what God thinks and what God wants from us and how we can be saved and what it means to follow you with our entire lives, God, and I just pray That you would like do a work where we get passionate about you. And God, where we don't just want to know the ending, but we want to know about your life because we love you. So that when we get to what we're about to celebrate in communion, your death and your resurrection, it's like, that's my friend dying. Lord, I think about, I don't know why I didn't think about this in my sermon, but I think about now as as I stand before you, God, and these people. I think about how we become attached to certain things, Lord. We have patriotism in America because we know the stories, because we grow up with them. About how we beat those British, God, and about how people came across the country uh, for better land. And, and we have these stories, God, that make us passionate about our country, even when we see its flaws and its failures, God. And God, I... I Think about my Cowboys right now, Lord, who play later, and I think about all the games they won and lost and, and the stories that I know from that team, and it makes me more passionate about them. I care more, God. But, Lord, with you, sometimes we just forget about all the good stuff in your life, all the incredible stuff, all the amazing stuff, all the astonishing stuff, and we just ignore it, and we ignore you because of it. And I pray that you would change that in our hearts, Lord, that you would make us a people, that you would make us a church, that you would restore in this nation, of, uh, in the Christians of this nation, God, just a passion for who you are that was revealed to us when you lived on this earth for 33 years. Lord, if there's any person that sits in front of me today, any person who will listen online later, God, that doesn't know you that has completely ignored you, that has never given their life to you, I pray, God, that you would bring them to salvation. But, God, even in the short term, I just pray that they would open up their Bibles and they would read from Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and they would say, wow. Even if they they want to reject it intellectually, God, I pray that they wouldn't ignore you and that they would at least make a decision about you. God, I know so many people who just put you on a back shelf and try not to think about you, but I'm just asking God that they would stop ignoring you. The stories are too incredible, Lord. A 12-year-old sitting in the temple wowing people is too incredible. A 12-year-old that understood that God was his father is too incredible. For those of us who are Christians, Lord, let us tell your story. Let us tell your story gladly. Let us tell your story with joy. Let us tell your story, God, because we are amazed and astonished by who you are and what you have done. I ask these things in your name. Amen.